The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Let me pray for us before we dive into it. God, we know that you are great. We know that you are holy. We know that you are worthy to be praised. And God, we ask that you fill this place with your presence as you've already done. But Lord, I pray that you come and allow us to recognize that you are here. Call our attention to you. Help us to think about things that are above, that are heavenly, that are good, that are gracious, that are marvelous, that are awesome. And I pray, Jesus, help us to learn from this psalm what it means to give you praise, what it means to worship you. Help us to understand and see that you're continuously calling us into worship every single day of our lives. I pray, God, that you use me to speak to your people. I pray, Jesus, that I hide beneath your cross. You fill me with your spirit. Think with my mind and speak with my mouth, Lord. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer is in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. All God's people said together. Amen. Well, beloved, we are continuing our summer series, sermon series through the Psalms, which we've titled Covered. Say covered. Covered, meaning that we know that under the Lordship of Christ that we are covered by him. And when we come into this place worshiping, particularly when we think about psalms of praise, we always think about worshiping. And we talked about last week, psalms of lament. But sometimes I don't think that we think about worship when it comes to lamenting. However, I want to bring to your acknowledgement that lamenting is an aspect in which we are called to worship. And David does this, as I talked about last week in Psalm 22, individually. And we talked about city laments, communal laments, which I think applies to us now where we're grieving as a city. And so in seeing that, Lord, I, 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 I understand and I hope that we understand that lamenting should be a regular practice of our day. Now, when we look at Psalm 100, a short praise to the Lord to where he is calling all of creation to worship together, we must Look at this and say, why then, uh, God, are you calling us all to worship? What does it mean to call your people to worship? Remember, as we talked about, that worshiping God when we're praising oftentimes seems easy, right? Worshiping God when everything's okay seems easy. Amen, somebody. But isn't it strange when you are in difficult situations, then worshiping God seems even more dry and difficult. This week, I mean, we, me and my wife, we felt that. We felt particularly the difficulty of being in a week where we had to lament, where we had to grieve. We found out later this week that we as we've been trying to have a child, that we uh, lost the baby. And in losing the child, I do not say this lightly because we providentially had a counseling session and we talked through it and it was a healthy situation. Uh, and we've experienced, while being married, a lot of grief. 
We've lost a lot of people in our lives. I've lost my mother. She's lost her father. We've lost uh, several other relatives over the last several years. And so understanding that in this particular week, there was a tension for me. For me in particular, because here, here it is coming out of practicing what you preach about lamenting in a situation that's difficult and then going into a sermon in where you want to praise God, but it's not an easy praise. The praise isn't necessarily because everything is right and the doctor's report came back perfect. The praise isn't necessarily because, you know, God, we sing this coming and you prepared our hearts and our minds for, for something like this. The praise isn't necessarily something that causes us a ton of joy. But the psalmist redirects and helps us see that the praise is joyful in our hearts because he is Lord. And that is sufficient enough because we could have thought that it was our fault. And the doctor immediately said, this is not your fault. This is, even though this is devastating news and you felt powerless and you, you're grieving now, this is not your fault. There's nothing that you could have done. But see, what it leaves me with is, who do I blame? Where do I point the finger? God, this isn't fair. Why does it have to happen to me? Where do I direct my anger? How do I work through my sadness? And so the tension of preparing this sermon this week was God helping me think through this and helping me understand where I am and where my family is. And being there for my wife, it, it's difficult because there is absolutely nothing I could do to save the situation. In fact, me even disclosing that information to you this morning was an exercise for me to, and my family to make this more of a reality because we can dismiss it. And so the exercise that we, we talked about with Psalms of Lament is this reality of we don't want to dismiss pain. We don't want to dismiss sorrow. We don't want this to be something that isn't real. One day that will happen. But now we have to deal with this reality. And so now I wrestle with this in our studies, but knowing that I come away with this, that to praise God in difficult and dry seasons, is to, it is important to submit myself and yourself to his lordship. To praise him in difficult and dry seasons, it is important to come to him as your lord, as your king, as one, hence the title, covered. Because you're not alone. When you submit yourself and you're covered to God, you, you're actually saying to yourself that you, you want to allow yourself to worship him and praise him, whether it's lament, whether it is praise. You want to do so and then not be dictated upon your circumstance. What do I mean by that? That he, does, that he is still on the throne no matter the situation. And yes, we are real humans with real emotions, which I believe that if, 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 if many of us will, will, just, will just say to ourselves, if we dismiss this, then we taint our view of God. But then if we, are, if we shake our fists at him, then, or we take him, take him off of his throne, let me say it that way, then what we miss is, is that 
we have a bad view of God. A healthy view of God helps us to enter into these situations knowing that we're covered. I want to emphasize that. But then there's also this other element, right, that was personal. It's this other element where you may say, oh, well, I can relate to that, Mike, but, or I cannot relate to that. But I know many of us can relate to something when it comes to worship styles, styles of worship, how we come together. Many of us would prefer to be in a formal worship setting or we come from formal worship settings or others may desire more spontaneity within a worship setting and others may think that we may need more uh, uh, meditative or contemplative excuse me (laughs) worship excuse me but when, when, you, when we think about these worship styles, some of us feel uncomfortable lifting our hands. Some of us feel uncomfortable with call and response or dialogical preaching. Some of us feel uncomfortable when we, say, when we talk about praise dancing or liturgical dancing. Many of us feel uncomfortable with various different styles of worship, but I don't believe that the Bible gives us a one-size-fits-all style of worship. The Bible doesn't give us that, which means then that a plethora of worship, whether you're listening to James Cleveland, Donnie McClurkin, Hillsong, or you're listening to, or you're singing, singing the Trinity hymnal, hymnal, or the Celebration hymnal, or the African American Heritage hymnal, no matter what hymnal or what song you're singing, the worship is to God. So then what does this mean being in a church that is intentionally trying to be cross-ethnic and not trying to appease or come to or or meet every preference of every individual in their congregation? It means that we have to do a few things. That worship then in a cross-ethnic, cross-class, cross-generational church ought to be intentional in the way it moves responsively. It also ought to be intentional in the way it moves in terms of understanding how to worship reverently. Also, how we worship sacrificially and lovingly. What happens when we go into our first point here, worshiping God responsively, we see that, the, that immediately the psalmist calls us in verse 1 to make a joyful noise. To make a joyful noise to yourself. To make a joyful noise because you just hit the lottery. To make a joyful noise because you receive something. No, to make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, calling every single, all the earth is calling humanity, calling every living thing to worship God. But I want you to think about this. This call is not necessarily a call that the psalmist is saying should be a shout or a cry out just to declare his kingship. That's not true. I want you to think about when you talk or see in our society kings or queens or government officials that are highly esteemed. We see celebrities or anyone in our, in our society that we have or hold at high ranking. What do we typically do? We respond. We respond by standing. We respond by applauding. We, as, we respond by offering warm greetings. And the point here is, is that we as worshipers always are responding to something. 
And what the psalmist is telling us is our response to God is an act of worship which actually reveals our true desire. Some of y'all looking at me funny. But I'm sure that many of y'all who went to the Beyonce concert, many of y'all who went to go see, uh, y'all name another artist. Many of you who back in the day maybe you went to a Prince concert. Uh, some of y'all going to bluegrass concerts, wherever you may be. Oftentimes when that singer, rapper, or individual gets up, what do, what do they do? Immediately calls you into worship for many of y'all. But you're called to respond immediately when that individual gets up there and starts talking. The psalmist says, here is the Lord. Respond by making a joyful noise. And when you make that joyful noise, know that it's not the declaration of his kingship only, but it's a praise that's caused by the recognition of his enthronement significant understanding in the way that we make joyful noise because then it's not simply an emotional response but there's an intellectual aspect in which you recognize his position and you praise him for where he is the god uh, the people of god are encouraged to respond to the lord because of his power and his might the people of god are encouraged to respond to the lord because they know that he is the one that is giving you breath in your lungs didn't we just sing that he is the one that's giving you sight to see he is the one that's helped you to hear the gospel he is the one that's called you out from the muck and the mar and the mire he's called you from darkness to light So why wouldn't you make a joyful noise? Why wouldn't you cry out or shout out to God? Do not let it be because of cultural norms or because of societal norms that says worship is one way. Do not allow yourself to only say that your preference dictates the way that you worship or the way that you call out to God. Because if you believe that he is the one, then you will, just like in a wedding, you will stand when you see that bride processing down the aisle. But what makes you stand? It's the music. Immediately, whenever you, whatever strum you hear, you hear that music and everybody stands. And as they stand, they all gawk at the bride. But just imagine if there was no one that walked through when you were standing. The joyfulness will be sucked out of you because there was the anticipation for the groom. There was no one that was there. The point of it is, beloved, is that oftentimes we can be so caught up in our preferences that bedside missionary Baptists will keep us at our laptops. That we can be so caught up in our preferences that prioritizing worship, honestly, is not the thing that's high on our list. How is that and why is that? It's oftentimes that when we are coming together, we don't have an anticipation to be unified with one another. To be with the family. 
It, it's, it's, it's hard for some of us because there are things that are going on with us that keep us at home. There are things that are going on with us that, 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 that block us or don't make me not want to be in this place. My mother forced me to be here. I, I, it's, it's just a part of what I need to do. I'm chasing this young girl. or I'm chasing this dude. I'm trying to get booed up, so I need to be in church. Whatever it is, you're coming into a place because of you. But what if you came into this place because of Jesus? What if you came into this place because you understood that your circumstances and your preferences do not dictate your devotion to worshiping God, but the beauty of the family of God being united together is a powerful response to the king, and practically every Sunday we're preparing our hearts and our minds to draw attention to the only one that we know that can save us from absolutely everything, that can heal us from absolutely everything. We make a joyful noise because of the one that we believe in. And we have to practice this, beloved, because for parents, if you are the one that, that you hit snooze of five million times, right, you, ha you have 15 different snooze buttons and your child is up at 6.30 and they're pouncing on the bed, but yet you're snoozing. I, I know all about that. You have to be an example of what it means to prepare Saturday night for what's to come Sunday morning. If your child does not see this now, when they go off to college, when they go to high school, when they're in elementary school, they're going to do the same exact thing that their parents did when they were infants. Wake up late. Not prepare the hearts and their minds. If your uncle, your aunt, the same thing when you're preparing your heart and your mind for, for your nieces and your nephews, or you're a mentor to someone, you need to be able to make sure that your devotion to God is something that it is God-honoring and is inspiring others to want to be in the house of the Lord. What better place is there to be? I say it every Sunday because I mean it. The vitality of our worship is hinged upon the promise that God has made to us to be with us one day. Do you understand that? The importance of our worship is the longing anticipation for God to say, I will be with my people one day. That you will no longer hurt, that you will no longer feel pain, that you will no longer feel sorrow. All of these things will pass away. Death, which we've all experienced within these last few months in our own congregation. We will no longer feel this because the one who will fulfill all things has come. So what are ways to respond? I got seven of them. Seven ways to respond under which we, we, we ought to practically do. Try to be a worship on time. Try to make to be make this a priority. Try to, try to be here before you hear the music. Try to check your child in before check-in is set up. Be here so that you can be ready to worship. I know some of y'all do not like, like making the movies late. You want to get there not just for the movie, but for the previews. 
Come on, baby, we gotta go. We gotta go. Go pack up bags, girl. Come on. Go put the makeup on. We gotta go. We gotta get up out of here. Come on now. It's it, it, 15 minutes of highlights going on, and we got time to worship. We we we, we, got, we got time to worship the movie that we're watching. That's what I was gonna say. Many of y'all waking up at midnight to go see Avengers. You don't want to go to the concert and miss your seat. You want to be there on time. You want to be at worship on time. If God is the very person in your life that is the most important individual in your life, why not be here to meet him? And if he is important and his people are important, why not be with the family of God with an eager expectation? Secondly, prepare your heart and your mind for worship. You just heard me say this. But one of the things I want to say is the chief worship leader is the Lord Jesus Christ. The chief worship leader is the Lord Jesus Christ. I know Adriana get up here and she hit her runs. Ooh, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I know all that. Amen, amen. But the idea of it is that you're all worship leaders as well. You're deceiving yourselves to only think that you take your cues from one individual. So if you have this piece of paper because we don't have our projector yet, you ought to be looking at this piece of paper ready with great anticipation to sing the next song, sitting on edge, ready and in tune so that you may be able to be in one accord with the entire body in this congregation. And what does that mean? When you're seeing kids and even our youth, some that seem like, oh, they, they don't know what's going on. They don't even care what's going on. You need to slide over to them real quick. Make sure that they have this same thing in front of them in order for your children, I don't care how old they are, for them to see that you're taking cues and you're leading everyone else because the chief worship leader is Jesus Christ singing and making a joyful noise among everybody so that we can sing to our enthroned king and all the earth know that we proclaim that there is one God. Israel was not delivered from Egypt simply because God wanted them. Israel was delivered from Egypt, Exodus 15, because they want, he wanted them to worship him. He got, he's God and God alone. Three, be ready to sing. This should not be a thoughtless effort, but it should be one that you're taking full engagement. Adriana has sent you songs. If you're not on the realm, contact Kathleen, contact Amber uh, at Downtown Church. Get on the realm. You have a whole playlist. Some of us make excuses. I don't know that song. I never grew up with that song. I never heard of it a day in my life. Or what, I can guarantee that if when you're brushing your teeth or when you're on your way to wherever you're going and you just tap that playlist and you just begin to jam out, See, what I do is I ride with my windows down making sure everybody hear my worship music because everybody else want me to hear that music. Everybody else want me to hear that music. So, you know what I'm saying? I'm all that, right? Well, I'm, well, I'm coming. I'm coming. Bam. Boom. Adriana gave me something. I'm turning the windows down. I'm at the light. What you saying? Huh? Hallelujah. I love when I'm riding down the street and I see that person that's worshiping God. And you know they worship a God because they, they don't have the, the Beyonce rock, right? They got that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? 
Because I, I, I love it. I give them a shout. I'm honking. Yeah, there you go. You know what I'm saying? Getting the Lord. Getting the, it's, because it's not simply here, saints. It's not simply on a Sunday. It's a rhythm of life. It's a way of life that you worship God. And you do it no matter where you are. And if you are in a situation to where you just need to call on the name of Jesus and pull over at the nearest hop, hop stop, quick trip or whatever and just give him glory, then do that. Because the entire week you're preparing yourself for the grand, great, great congregation to come together, to sing together, to clap together, to yell together, to make a joyful noise to the one who is enthroned. So that's three, four. Have a heart of expectancy. Expect something to happen here. Don't, don't come not expecting something to happen. Even when you're grieving, expect God to meet you. Expect God to be with you. Expect him to comfort you. Expect his people to have a discernment to just wrap their arms around you right now. And again, five, encourage your children, our youth, to prepare throughout the week. Make sure that they understand how this whole drama unfolds weekly. And it's not just a grown-up thing. And then incongruent messages. I just learned this through a counselor, an advisor, right? It, what I learned was I give off incongruent, and we all give off incongruent messages, right? I'm a very passionate individual. But if I'm talking about something very serious, I can become very stoic. And my wife said, my wife thinks that when I am a lot more stoic and calm, it's because sometimes I don't care about it. Right now, sometimes. But they think, I don't care about it. But what we learned is, is that I'm actually saying something very vulnerable and I'm being very thoughtful about what I'm saying. And so then when, when she heard, when she's seen the difference between the incongruent messages, it was an aha because it, 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 the last several years of our marriage was just resolved. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was beautiful. Things have been beautiful now. But, but the same thing happens, I believe, in worship. Incongruent messages are happening through expressions of worship. Some of us are more intellectual. Some of us are more expressive or emotive. Some of us um, do not like to give our will, our volition over to God. But all three are very important. Richard already mentioned it. We cannot make this simply an intellectual exercise. That your response is only, I think, good thoughts. Because we are not mere thinking things. I'll get to that. But also, it's not simply I'm feeling some type of way. My emotions take over me, and that is the supreme deal. So if I don't lift my hands, or if I'm not crying, or if I'm not belting out necessarily, if I have my hands in my pocket or my arms around me, it doesn't mean that I'm worshiping less. And then the will. If you haven't given your will over to God, and, and I want to particularly talk to young people. If you haven't given your will over to God, you need to do it in worship. You need to just experience what it means to stand up and sing aloud and join in and not be distracted with your phone, not be distracted with some gossip. Don't be distracted by anything else. And if you've got people around you distracting you, you just need to go ahead, move over to the other side. Bam. I remember when I became a believer, this was distinct. I would sit 
in the back of the church with all of, the, all of my friends who did not care about listening to the message. But when God grabbed me, transformed me, I mean, it was, it was, like, it was 180 completely. What happened is my heart moved from the back to the front. So everybody that the Lord had went ahead and took at this little old youth retreat, we all began to move to the front. We said we can't be distracted by, first of all, looking at people up front. We need to be on the front row so that we can just focus on what's ahead of us and we're not distracted by who's talking or who's passing a note, etc. So young people, I want to say to you, make sure that worship is just as important. Do not give incongruent messages. Try not to give incongruent messages, but then also make sure you're not uh, imposing in, that an individual is giving off a message that you don't understand. And seven, do not, be a spread, do not be afraid to respond to preaching. Dialogical preaching is also an aspect of liturgical worship, meaning that it's a formal aspect of worship that comes from a tradition that we can talk about in another time, but it is an engagement throughout the entire time. Worship is responsive. You're engaging the entire time. That's, what it, that's why when you're singing songs and then the sermon comes, it's not a lecture. It's an expression of worship. You don't ever want to tell someone, go in there and just go get the word. Go in there and just go get fed. Because what you're saying is you can go in and consume something just for a minute, take it, Gather it, and it doesn't affect your life. But what happens when the word begins to transform you? What happens when you hear the preach word and it makes you move in your seat? Because you're convicted. What you did last night or what you did a couple weeks ago or what God is doing in your heart and your mind. God then is working on you. It's okay to respond to that. And then our next point, those are the seven, in the, that is responsive worship to God. But reverent worship to God is verses two through three. When you look at where he says, serve the Lord with gladness, come into the presence with singing. Know that the Lord God, that the Lord, he is God. He is who made us and we are his. He emphasizes we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. It's important that because we know this because serve literally means worship. Service literally means worship in the Hebrew, which means that your service to God with gladness and not grumbling is just a mere reflection of what God has brought you from. Is what God has brought you from. Because what you offer to God and what, G what God has told the people of Israel, I brought you out of bondage of slavery so that you don't have to worship idols. Or that you don't have to hide your worship. I brought you, out of, I brought you out of bondage to serve. You will hear serve, but it literally means worship. It literally means to worship God and God alone. And that way is that we express that reverence to God through sacrifice, sacrificial acts of worship. Through sacrifice and the sacrificial and ritual system that we actually seen and detailed in the Old Testament was is far more complex than what we can do as new believers. It's far more complex. Because when we come in here, we're offering something, and that offering is our own worship. As individuals who, from Romans 12 and 1, tells us that we are what? Living, living sacrifices. Offering to him spiritual forms of worship. And when you understand what you are, then it's not what you simply 
having your hands that you bring. It's who you are that you bring. And what affects that is what the psalmist says is to know that the Lord, he is God. If you, and we talked about this before, but if you don't have a good theology of who God is, you have a good theology of who you are. So the psalmist saying, know that he is Lord. Know that he is God. I want you to know that not only is he Lord, covenant Yahweh, but he is God of all gods. And if he, and, and, and being God of all gods, he's the very one that made you. So made us is important because then it says you're created for something. It was James K.A. Smith that said, we, and I'm going to use a quote from him later in the, next, in the next point, is that we're all created for worship. That human beings are created for worship. Now, this is no, no new thing. This is no new ideology at all. The Bible tells us that we are created for worship. That the, the chief end of man is what? To worship God and glorify him forever. And if that then is the case, you have to say that we have to say to ourselves, do we accept that invitation not only to serve God with gladness because there was points where we could not serve God with gladness, but coming into being, accepting the invitation to come into his presence. To come into his presence, but not merely come into his presence. He's particular. He could have just said, come into his presence. He says, with singing. With singing. What does Paul emphasize brings us together as individuals? Spiritual songs, hymns, singing a new song in Ephesians 4. Paul says that worship actually unites us. And if we then are going to be a church that is going to fight for justice, fight to be cross-ethnic, fight to be cross-class, fight to do everything that we can to be countercultural to society, then what has to happen is worship has to be a priority. Worship has to be a priority together. I know y'all, I know y'all, I know y'all like, what are you talking about? But let me tell you this, is that in this invitation, the Bible tells us there are several examples that where God takes his presence so important that he's actually killed someone. That if you were to go to a certain part of the sanctuary, if you were to go to the holies of holies and you were not an anointed priest, what would happen? You would die. Uriah touches the Ark of the Covenant. This is an act of worship, and he dies. I just want you to understand how serious worship is to God and why the complex and detailed ways in which he told them the Levitical law and wish to worship and the way that he built his sanctuary, even though they were in a gym, we know that we're the new temple, that he has built us, but he is particular in the way that he desires and wants to see us worship. Not a style, but the seriousness that it is with a reverence and a fear to him. So to worship God reverently is directly related to something. It's freedom. It's freedom from the enslavement of sin. And the gladness that you're worshiping is a newfound joy not to be afraid to worship freely. Dr. C. Eric Lincoln, who wrote a book called Af The Black Church and the African American Experience, was a sociologist. He was not a theologian. And so he gave hard numbers and he gave hard facts about what it meant in terms of worship from an African-American experience context. And but one of the things that he brought up was that 
at one point in time when Methodist church and Baptist churches in the South began to, and probably even in the North, but in the South in particular, began to allow slaves to come into worship, slaves had to sit in the balcony and they could not express themselves in worship because what was preached to them was strict obedience so that you would, they would always have control. Now, you would think about this, just think about it. Many of y'all heard several different traditions and how maybe African-American tradition is more expressive, et cetera. Nevertheless, because I've seen some of my white brothers and sisters get down, my Hispanic brothers and sisters kill it, you know, my Asian brothers, I, I didn't see some things, so I'm just not gonna say that. However, when I was reading this, what stood out to me is, is that what the same thing that they felt bondage by was the very thing they should have been, felt free to do. It was by the power of the gospel. And so, yes, in your slave quarters, you had to do what you needed to do to express yourself because you could not do it in worship. What if somebody told you here you couldn't lift your hands, that you couldn't sing to God? What if sin continued to plague your mind and said that you're not good enough to be here because of what you did last night? What if sin continued to, the devil continued to tell you that you're not good enough because of your pedigree, or where you come from, your, how much money you have, or what you don't have, or, or the way you dress. Some of y'all may not have the things that you need to come in here. Church clothes is, is what some people say, but, but what God is saying is don't feel bound by cultural, societal, and any other norm, but what you need to feel bound by is the power of the gospel so that you can worship with gladness, so that you can come into his presence with singing some of our brothers and sisters right now they cannot worship publicly in different countries because Christian worship is illegal I seen a video of my Chinese brothers and sisters who received Bibles and they were ex they were just excited to receive Bibles we got Bibles everywhere and sometimes we don't even care to read them and I know we can be dealing with things. That's why I said difficult or dry seasons. But it's important to understand his lordship because you're covered. So verse 3 says, I mean, so, so like what we know from verse 3 is, is this knowing of yourself. That, that, that to know God is this firm foundation. It is this footing. It is a prerequisite to praise. It's the knowledge that is our very gift. But here it is, as we continue to move through this, what I want you to know is, is that your reverence should not be hindered. If you were to take anything from reverently worshiping God, it should not be hindered. It should have a healthy fear of God, which you're not intimidated to come in here and worship God because of where you are. But you should be free to worship God because of who he is. And you're his treasured possession. Look at what he says. He's made you. We are his. We are his people. But then he gives you a place. You're his sheep in his pasture. Know that you have a position in Christ that no one can take away from you. And so that when that position of Christ says that I'm a sheep of God, then I need to worship him like he's my shepherd. You cannot be the shepherd of your own soul. Some of us want to pastor ourselves. That's why we feel comfortable with listening to the podcast. That's why we feel comfortable to reading various different blogs. That's why we feel comfortable. We're gathering all of this information from various different places that are extra biblical content instead of reading our Bibles and being shepherded by the king. And lovingly and sacrificially 
because time is running out on me. The psalmist makes it clear that when you enter God's court, do it with thanksgiving. When you enter it, do it with praise. You enter his gates, do it with thanksgiving. You enter his courts, do it with praise. What is that sacrificial? Because whatever is going on with you, I'm not saying leave it at the door. Bring all of your baggage and say, God is here. I'm thankful. I'm still alive. And this baggage is killing me, but I'm thankful. This baggage is, is, is getting me, Lord. I, I don't know if I can defeat this. I don't know if I can get over this, but I'm going to praise you. Because there are certain parts of the courts that they could not go. But what God is saying is, there's no place, there is all places that you can go now in the new covenant. You, there's, no, there's no spot that you can't go. There's no, there's just no wall that's holding you up. There's nothing dividing us from one another. You need to be in a place to where you can worship God, see your brothers and sisters worship God, and be encouraged by whatever baggage they may be bringing, whatever may be going, that you're thanking God for what's going on in their life, and you're praising God for what's going on in their life. Meantime, meanwhile, you're hoping that somebody is doing the same thing on your behalf that's the family of God it's a privilege to be here like I said earlier James K Smith makes a point he makes a point to, to be human is to be animated and orient ourselves to some vision of the good life that that the human heart is a compass that's orienting us to some vision of the kingdom or the telos the ultimate life and when he says this, he says, love is like an autopilot. So it's orienting us without our thinking about it. Essentially, he makes the case that we are what we love. And I love this because so many times when you think about, and I, you think about what you love and desire most, just think about a sale at the store. He uses the analogy of walking through the mall and being attracted by all of the things that says that buy one, get one free. That's calling you to purchase something, calling you to sacrifice, calling you to offer. I want y'all to think about that. Many of us are offering our last dime to buy some things. But what God is saying is, is that because our hearts have been disoriented because of secular worship, we need to recalibrate our minds. We need to recalibrate our hearts. And so this is why rhythms in life of worship are important. Regularly praying, not just when you're in a prayer closet. Having your children see you pray is important. Inviting your toddler to pray, no matter how short or how messed up the prayer may sound, to pray because you're teaching them to worship because other forms of worship sex money drugs image management materialism many of y'all that are struggling that I can't worship this God who I don't necessarily think made me I don't know if he made me but I don't think I look good when I go to high school my friends make fun of me when I go when I go outside nobody make nobody shows love to me I have to show myself because I need to fight some of us feel like I always I, I, I felt like I seen my parents parents worship but they didn't love me the way that they should so why should I love God all of these things are working in your mind and your heart but can I tell you something that what he says is that the Lord is good. And if it's predicated upon God's goodness, his steadfast love and his faithfulness, not just to you, but to all generations, helping us to see the beginning from the end. 
and the end from the beginning, you know what happens is the indicative certainly informs the imperative. Oftentimes in worship, what happens is we command. But grammatically, if you were to think about this, if the indicative is I worship, God is good, therefore I worship. You're not worshiping because you feel like you're commanded to. You're worshiping because God is good. The indicative is a truthful statement and the imperative is an exhortation. What that means is I love God not because, he, not because I first loved him, because he first loved me. Psalm 1 said make a joyful noise. It's causal. It's not because you can just yell. It's because there's a king in your midst. And if you can stand for the president, for the governor, for the queen, or Beyonce and them, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, you can stand before a God who has showed steadfast love, who has been unmovable, unchanging, the one who has been awesome, who's been a deliverer, who's been a healer, and the very one who, who consistently says, no matter the season, I will always be with you, and you can worship me. Father, we love you, and we thank you, because you're one who continues to show us what your steadfast love means to us. You help us, Jesus, to recognize that it is not about what we have to offer. It's about what you've given us. And that is breath. That's our voices. That's our hands. That's our feet. That's our bodies. That's our eyes. That's our ears. You've given us minds to engage. You've given us emotions. And you've given us a will to give to you. Help us right now, after this prayer, to sing together, being called into worship by the one who is great amongst all. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. All God's people said, let us continue to worship God in our giving.